Well, I am very thankful that I get to be part of a church which is doggedly devoted to this book. It's a good thing. Most of the weeks, I love listening to the preached word with you, but then on occasion, the other part of those weeks, I love preaching it as well. So, as you may have guessed, we're picking up in Acts 25. Go ahead, if you've got a Bible, turn there. We're going to be starting Acts 25, verse 23, but don't stand yet. Uh, We've got a super long passage today, which is really good because we want to hear God's words to us. Um, But we're not going to read through the whole thing together at once because I don't want you guys to drift off yet. I found that some of these later chapters in Acts will have a very similar, almost repetitive storyline, kind of. In my mind, they blur together, but I don't really think it would have felt like that to those people who are living through the events, right? We've got political games, we've got assassination plots, and there's prison sentences which are very real to Paul, to the apostles, to the baby church. So, we're going to try to just walk with uh, Paul in this text as closely as we can, uh, try to feel what he feels, think like he thinks, and to do that, you guys know where we start. We start praying, so let's do that again. Jesus, we want to see you, see your glory in your word, and we don't want to settle for anything less. Lord, make it applicable to our lives today. Help us to understand clearly. Please move our souls, move our desires to worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. Well, previously in Acts, Paul is in prison. The Jews charged him with treason in Caesarea before a guy named Felix, okay? So Felix apparently knew enough to tell that the Christians were not trying to to rebel against Rome. They weren't guilty of crimes against the empire. But Felix wasn't the greatest guy. He didn't have much of a spine, and he wanted to kind of cater to the Jews in the area. So instead of letting Paul go... Though he recognized him as innocent, he left him in prison indefinitely and hopes for a bribe. After two years of that, uh, the new guy came in. This was Festus. And Festus, as he comes in, it's the same story. The Jews don't like Paul in prison. They want him six feet underground. So they ask Festus, the new guy, if they can try him in Jerusalem. Paul of course, catches wind of that. He doesn't want any part of it. So he appeals to Caesar. He, he tries to stay in the Roman courts. And that's how God's going to use Paul, get Paul, to testify in Rome. But right now, he's still in the custody of Festus, the governor. He's waiting. He's waiting. So, with that little background, we're going to jump into the setting of this passage. We're going to read this together. If you are able, please stand. This is going to be chapter 25, starting at verse 23. So, on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa, and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, 
both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he not ought to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. You may be seated. So here's the problem which Festus tells Agrippa. The Jews, uh, and according to Festus uh, in verse 24, the whole Jewish people want Paul charged with treason. Really, they just want him dead, but they don't have the legal authority or power to do that. So if they can get Paul tried in Roman courts, get him convicted of betraying Rome, the Romans will do the dirty work, and the Pharisees, well, the whole Jewish people, will never have to worry about Paul again. But in verse 25, look at this with me. Verse 25, I, Festus, found that he, Paul, had done nothing deserving death. So Festus was not a totally upstanding guy, right? Earlier this same chapter, he tried to just ditch Paul so he could butter up the Jews and give them a favor. And what happened then was that it forced Paul's hand to appeal to Caesar so he could stay in Roman courts, try to get a just sentencing. And ultimately this under-the-table kind of squeamish uh, dealing backfired. Surprise. Here's the problem Festus has. And this is coming from verse 26. He doesn't know what to charge Paul with. He doesn't have anything to say to Caesar. Right? And if he can't come up with anything, he's going to look like just a straight-up fool in front of his boss, who is the most powerful guy in the world. So it's really unreasonable for him to send Paul to Caesar on no charges. Festus, his goal is to try to find something to charge Paul with. He's trying to catch up on his overdue homework. So he brings in the big gun, whose name is Herod Agrippa II. Last week, Pastor Jeremy unraveled a little bit about this guy's family mess. And I'll tell you what, it was really bad. It was really bad. So with a history of baby-killing, apostle-slaying relatives, Agrippa, Agrippa was an intimidating guy for Paul to be examined by. He was a powerful and influential man in the Jewish temple system, and he knew his homework. He knew his stuff. Next, let's, uh, let's go ahead and read about the examination together. We're just going to ask the question, how, do, how is Paul going to hold up? What's he going to say to Agrippa? Let's read this together. So, again, we're in chapter 26 now, looking at verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and he made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, 
especially because you are familiar with all the customs and the controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Okay, we're going to pause there. This is part of the examination. Just notice right off how Paul is very respectful when he speaks with Agrippa. Even though Agrippa is kind of a shady figure, Paul is respectful to him. And in the first part of the speech, Paul, Paul says, the reason I'm here, <laughs> I'm really here, is not tyranny. He didn't betray the empire. He says, and this is from verse 6, I stand on trial because of hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. He goes on to say that the very thing the Jews are waiting for is why they accuse him. Because of course, whenever Paul says resurrection, he's talking about the Messiah, right? The one who was resurrected. And Paul, he believes that Jesus was the Messiah. Doesn't make much sense, does it? Paul proclaims, Paul proclaims a Messiah who wasn't a military guy. He didn't, his Messiah didn't fight Israel's enemies with a sword or with an army, but by dying. That was Jesus. That's how Jesus fought death. And in their eyes, the cross was a shameful thing, and the resurrection was a foolish thing, okay? It's foolish to us, at least. That kind of power is off limits to us, at least. And here's the thing. If, if resurrections don't happen, if the dead stay dead, then Jesus is not who he says he is. And then whatever our faith is, it is vain, and it is worthless. But Paul says, why do you think it incredible that God raises the dead? It's not impossible. This was the plan all along. Here's what Jesus had to say about that a little, uh, a little before. Matthew 22, it'll be on the screen for you. Jesus says, and as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? And he says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So Paul is on trial because of his hope in the promise of resurrection. Like we've already read in Acts, Paul wasn't always a follower of Jesus. He didn't always believe in Jesus' testimony and in Jesus' resurrection. But that's the next part of his speech. So let's keep reading. This is verse 9. This is going to be a long section. Buckle up. We're going to verse 23 here, okay? Here we go. Starting at verse 9. This is again Paul speaking. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. 
And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme in raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O King Agrippa, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to these things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, and then in Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here, testifying both to small and great saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to Gentiles. <laughs> That's a lot to take in. It's also, I, I also think this is just like the, the climax, the crescendo of the text. Can you see it? Look in, in 22 and 23. What's happening is that by the help of God, Paul is testifying to the fulfillment and the completion of the law and of the, the prophets before him that, and this is what he's testifying to, that Christ has suffered and that he is the first among many to rise from the dead. And then he says that, hey, that good news, it's not just for the Jews. It's also for the Gentiles. It's also for the lowly people and the powerful people for, for everyone. So in the end here, he's not just making a defense for his innocence. He, he's giving his testimony. He's telling how God has worked, certainly in his life, through Christ. So his testimony overrides his defense. It shows where his priorities really are, right? He does not value his life more than his ministry. He's ready to give witness and to testify to the grace of God in Jesus. And then he's, then he's interrupted. Okay. So we're going to go to the part three of the examination. 
looking in 24, going to verse 29 here. So as Paul was saying these things in his defense, Festus, the new governor, said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear this might become such as I am, except for these chains. Okay. So, so apparently something in Paul's speech just shocks his audience. And I think there's probably a couple reasons for this. For one, he claims to preach the message, to preach what he preaches, because Jesus of Nazareth told him to, right? So he's claiming that he is a first-hand witness of the resurrection. That's one. For another, he says that this Messiah and the Messiah's message is for Gentiles. That was scandalous, right? It was supposed to be for the Jews. They were the, the chosen people. They were the people of the promise. And Paul says, it's for Gentiles too. On top of all that, maybe for a third reason, he believes that Jesus is this Christ, this Messiah. And that, that Christ was supposed to be a, a king and a ruler and a powerful, victorious figure. Jesus was a commoner, right? He died like on a cross, which is a way criminals died for crimes against the empire. Festus just thinks Paul is a lunatic, and he tells him that. Paul, you're out of your mind. And Paul goes, I am not out of my mind. I, I just don't, I don't think that's a great comeback. <laughs> but regardless, here's the deal. Festus had heard the gospel before. Paul is talking to Agrippa. Look at this, look at this. Agrippa knows the law of Moses, right? He believes the prophet's words. And in that respect, he is close to the kingdom of God. So Paul seeks to persuade Agrippa to become a Christian. In fact, he's more concerned about making Agrippa a Christian than in keeping himself comfortable or safe or just out of prison even. And when Agrippa catches wind of this, he just tries to dodge the question. Straight up. For him, he says, it's too short a time. It's too soon. This is a big decision. And then Paul's response comes. Paul doesn't care if it takes a short time or if it takes a long time. His mission is just to be faithful to the ministry that Jesus gave him. Okay? And then, then we come to the, the last section of this. The verdict. Chapter 26, verses 30 to 32. Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, 
they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Okay, the verdict which Festus and Agrippa arrive at, their conclusion isn't right there in verse 31. This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And this is very interesting to me because another Jewish man uh, several years earlier was also tried by Roman authorities for having enraged his fellow Jews. Luke, uh, the, the doctor and historian who wrote Acts, wrote another book which we creatively call Luke. And in it, in chapter 23, the other Jewish man was tried by a governor named Pilate, a Roman governor named Pilate, and one of Herod's, Herod Agrippa's relatives, who was also named Herod. Okay, check this out. Luke 23, 13 through 15. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people. And he said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. And here's that sentence. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Okay? I will therefore punish and release him. Maybe you've heard the rest of that story. He wasn't released, right? This man's name is Jesus. He was tried, he was innocent, and he was crucified. And what we read in Acts 26 just perfectly parallels that account until the end. And here, here's, the, here's the difference. God told Paul that Paul would testify to the gospel in Rome. And God was going to keep that promise. So, so Paul had every reason to be concerned, to be anxious or frightened. But he had a promise. And Luke doesn't, in Acts here, Luke doesn't give us a read on Paul's emotions. Uh, we don't know if he felt intimidated by the powerful people or if he felt calm, cool, and collected. But we do know exactly what Paul knew, which was that he had to testify in Rome. Okay, that's Paul. Let's, let's see how we apply this now, huh? What's the conclusion like? Well, I'm kind of seeing two patterns in the text. I hope you can see them with me. The first, let's say for application one, the calling is to believe like Paul, right? We want to believe like Paul. Believe, <laughs> believe what? That's our question. And our answer, that the resurrection of Jesus is rational and true. So while I'm preaching this text, my aim is the same as Paul's. I'm trying to persuade you to be a Christian if that takes a short time or a long time. And I won't be talking for too much longer today, but the big idea here is simple, and it's the same. Don't just hear, but know and believe. So if you're not yet a Christian, today is the day. Today is the day. Know and believe that the resurrection of Jesus is rational and true. And if you are a Christian, if you've repented from your sin, professed faith in Christ, then feel the same call. Like, know and believe that the resurrection of Jesus is rational and true. Because, friends, 
We don't outgrow that, right? We don't outgrow our need for the gospel, for hearing and for believing the gospel. Why is that? Why don't we outgrow it? I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, I do. One to focus on today may be this. So I think our whole lives, we are, let's, let's paint a picture here. We're sailing on dark waters, okay? Stormy seas, sailing on dark waters. And the reality of the resurrection, the fact that the resurrection is real, that truth is a beam of light coming from the lighthouse of God's word. So when we see that looming wave of death coming in, we have hope for a better home. And when we feel a cold wind of doubt blowing through us, we need assurance of salvation, and that's found in the lighthouse. And when we feel uh, just that dark pressure of anxiety or fear in our hearts, we need the presence of a risen king. We need nothing less than that. We need a permanent hope. So let's just believe, like Paul. Let's believe that God will keep his promise, that Jesus' resurrection is true, it's rational, and I love this little phrase that he is the first among many to rise. We're going to join him soon. He's the first, and we're going to join him. And I think this leads to the second piece for application, which is talking like Paul. <laughs> um, I mean, really, it's seek to persuade people to be Christians. If that takes a short time, that takes a long time. Talk about Jesus. Some of you guys are doing this already. Be encouraged. Keep doing it. It's worth it. We got a resurrection coming. And maybe as a note of hope, just keep in mind, we don't know if Agrippa or Bernice or Festus or any of the people in that room became Christians. We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. That's not really the point. God knows hearts. He's got the power to save he is in control of the fruitfulness of the conversation. And our job is just faithfulness to have that conversation. So, faithfulness to have that conversation. Paul, how did he do that? Well, he told the gospel by telling people how the resurrection of Jesus changed his life. And we can do that too, right? How has Jesus changed you? How would your life look different if you weren't following Jesus? We don't need a degree <laughs> for that. We don't need to be expert theologians just to talk about Jesus because it's a relationship, right? Paul talked about Jesus a lot. He did. And, and if you're like me, maybe you don't feel uh, quite as seemingly comfortable as Paul did in those conversations. That's okay. There's hope for us. God can use conversations that are awkward and where we don't have all the answers. He can use those, and he does. And yet, let's just also recognize that this is something we want to get better at for the sake of those who don't know Jesus yet. And uh, one cool, like, real practical thing you can do if you're more interested in this is just that we've got an evangelism class that's going to be going on in Sunday school hour a couple weeks from now. Check it out. Like, there's some really good tools out there which we can learn from and use. Okay, so practical step if you want to look forward to that. But uh, as you know, this is, this is how we always start, and this is how we want to finish too, because when we're telling people about Jesus, the work 
is God's in changing hearts. So it's good to pray for those hearts. And we're just going to do that now. We're going to pray, close, praying together for desire and strength to witness. Okay, Lord Jesus, you are good. And the news, the news is good news. Lord, we love that death is not our future. We're here for a moment and our home is with you forever. With a, a resurrected body where sickness and disease have, have no grip on us anymore. Where pain is vanquished because you are that victorious and conquering king. And you did it in an unexpected way. And we're so grateful for that. Lord, thank you for taking our place. Jesus, we love you. And we want others to love you too. So please, the, the people we know who don't know you yet, please change their hearts. Please help them love and follow you. Please transfer them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And uh, let us gain brothers and sisters in you uh, through that. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand?